understanding anger and Acts chapter 9 on this episode of The Gray Snapper. Welcome to the Grace Napa Podcast, a podcast of Grace Church of Napa Valley. And I'm your host, Jess Arns. Just a quick encouragement to start off the show today, 1 Corinthians 1, 4-9, Paul writing to the Corinthian church. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in Him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's speaking of when he comes again, who will also confirm you to the end blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. What an awesome uh, encouragement from the Apostle Paul today. God is faithful. He will establish us. He will call us. He's called us into, into fellowship with His Son. He will confirm us blameless when the Lord Jesus returns. How cool is that? All of our sin will be done away with. Well, from that, let's go to our weekly warning. Yeah. All right, our weekly warning this week comes... On the topic of anger, and I just want to warn you this week about allowing anger to have a foothold in your life. When you allow anger to reside in your heart and then it turns into resentment, you give the devil a foothold. You give him an opportunity into your life. This comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 through 27. It says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Don't let your anger go undealt with. Deal with it quickly before the sun goes down. Otherwise, um, the devil gets, he, he puts his foot in there and he is, it's very difficult to overcome the other issues that come up when you let anger reside. It causes so much trouble. So I just want to warn you about that. Don't let it stay. And that actually gets us into our resource spotlight. This week's resource spotlight is called Help, My Anger is Out of Control by Jim Neuheiser. It's just a little bitty book of about, let me look at this here. It is exactly 60 pages long, um, 61 pages long, and it's a little book on dealing with anger. It's It talks about a bunch of different things, but it defines anger, and then it it talks about how angry people can be helped overcoming anger by God's grace, and then practical ways you can overcome it. And then there's some personal applications and more resources as well. It's a great little resource by Jim Neuheiser, My Anger Help, My Anger is Out of Control. Um, So on that, that's what our teaching is going to be about today. We're going to talk about the first chapter in this book, Understanding Anger. And uh, here's just a quick definition of anger. Anger is a whole-personed, active response of negative moral judgment against perceived evil. Well, it's a complicated definition, isn't it? I'll read it again. This comes from Robert Jones. 
Anger is our whole is our whole personed active response of negative moral judgment against perceived evil. Or more simply, anger is an emotion that arises out of a judgment. Okay? So you're making a judgment about something, a negative judgment, and therefore you respond in a negative way, and it involves your whole body. So here's some common characteristics of anger. First, all anger seems righteous to the person who's angry, right? We all feel justified in our anger. We all feel right about it, usually. We become angry because we believe some kind of an injustice has taken place. Unfortunately, because we're fallen and sinful, our view of justice is distorted. So, this is, this is important to understand, though, that we often feel a sense uh, that we are right, and that when we see what we think is injustice, it turns out to be, we, we, we respond in anger. Well, so that's the first part. The next is the next characteristic is that anger has a physical component to it. Our body and soul are connected. What affects one usually affects the other. And so like uh, our emotions, um, you know, they often uh, result in physiological or biological changes. So for instance, when you get angry, your heart rate and your blood pressure go up, as well as certain energy hormones, adrenaline, and noradrenaline, which is something else that, <laughs> some way that your body responds to these this sense of anger in yourself. We see in anger that uh, that we see in scripture that anger affects people physically. Genesis four or five, we see Cain. He became angry and his countenance fell. Uh, Moses was angry when he saw the uh, the cat, the golden calf that the Israelites had made. And you, you see him throwing the, uh, the tablets down onto this thing and breaking them. He responds physically in anger. There's biblical words for anger. And what's interesting is a lot of times the words for anger kind of uh, describe the physical component of it. So like uh, burning, trembling, and nostrils flaring. Okay, Anger can also cause sleepless nights, a loss of appetite, and even digestive problems, right? So anger is this sort of full body and soul response to whatever thing we've perceived as an injustice. Well, the third thing is that anger is active. I just mentioned Moses throwing the tablets, right? Anger usually results in some sort of action on the part of the person who's angry. Number four, anger is deceptive, okay? Sinfully angry people typically try to justify their anger by claiming that it was righteous. They'll say stuff like, I didn't really mean it, or I'm not angry, I'm just frustrated, or uh, my anger was caused by someone or something outside of themselves. They will often blame other people. Uh, he, he relays the story here of a pastor claiming that if a certain church elder were to, were to be removed from the board, his anger problem would be solved. Uh, an angry wife might say, if my husband would just change, I wouldn't get angry. And people often say this, you made me mad, okay? And yet, we understand from Scripture that the, it's not the circumstances or the people that make us angry, it is our hearts, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Well, the next characteristic is that anger is dangerous. Anger is dangerous. Think of the, the Hulk from the, uh, the Marvel movies, right? The Incredible Hulk, he destroys people and he hurts people. Okay, when people struggle with anger, they're similar to the Hulk. They can sometimes seem pretty normal and calm, but when provoked, they become enraged and almost become a different person. 
and especially do harm to those that, who love them or those who are close to them. And many people want to minimize the seriousness of their anger. Uh, they want to just kind of move on and pass by uh, the anger. But it's, it's super important to understand that, that anger causes destruction, right? It's, it's dangerous. And, it, and you, when you allow it to stay there, it destroys all kinds of things like relationships and um, even property and, and things like that. People lose jobs because of their anger problem. Well, it also hurts your relationship with God. Matthew 5.21 says that those who are angry um, will be guilty before God uh, to go into the fiery hell, right? That's how seriously Jesus takes anger. Uh, 1 John 3.15 says, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Uh, Cain, when he was angry, he ended up murdering Abel. Uh, the Jews that stoned Stephen, we read this last week, or a couple weeks ago, uh, Stephen was stoned. Why? Because they were angry. They were so angry that they gnashed their teeth at him. They dragged him out and they killed him by stoning him. Well, and James 1.14 says that when lust gives birth, it gives birth to death, that when you allow sinful desires, often resulting in, in anger, it can have deadly consequences. Those who give in to anger are at risk of losing control. Proverbs 25, 28 says, Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. It's super, super destructive. Uh, Proverbs eleven nine says this, With his mouth the godless man destroys his neighbor. And then Proverbs twelve eighteen says this, There is one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword. One who is who does not choose his words carefully, but rather reacts in anger. It's like, it's like he has a sword, and he's just thrusting it at the people around him. Okay? And then his anger subsides, and he might, he might apologize for what he has done, but the damage has still been done by the anger. It's like stabbing someone with a sword and then pulling it out and being like, I'm sorry, and then asking him, hey, well, why, are you, why are you still in pain? I said, I'm, I said, I'm sorry. See, Paul warns, like we said before today, that, the, that the, the devil gains an opportunity in your relationships when you allow anger to gain have a place in your heart. Here's the next characteristic. Anger, like the love of money, also leads to many other sins. Uh, Proverbs 29, 22, An angry man stirs up strife. And a hot-tempered man abounds in transgressions. Okay, many, many sins. Okay, it can lead to stolen property, uh, immorality. Some people, some people, in order to punish their spouse in anger, uh, commit adultery. I've heard. I was just talking to a friend last week who said he was dealing with a couple who he was dealing with a couple who, um, in anger at one another, committed adultery on purpose in order to punish the other. Um, people lie. Uh, they destroy relationships. They dishonor parents. Uh, they judge one another. Uh, it's related to bitterness and depression, anxiety, and fear. A lot of times when you see someone who's depressed, what's at the heart of that often is anger. It's anger. It's like this suppressed anger. It's because a depressed person is so angry, but they don't want to act out on it, and so they just they just go get depressed. And um, that's often because of unresolved anger in their heart. Uh, 
Here's the next characteristic. Anger is contagious. Proverbs 22, 24-25 says this, Do not associate with a man given to anger, or go with a hot-tempered man, or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. Okay, you, you know people that are that are constantly angry and uncontrolled in their anger? It says don't associate with that person. You will end up uh, paying for your association with them. Uh, Proverbs 15.1, a harsh word stirs up anger. Angry people often tempt others towards sinful anger. Okay, and God's grace alone is the cure of this. Here's the next characteristic. Anger is not necessarily sinful. Okay, now this is interesting, right? Typically it is. When you see it talked about in Scripture, most of the time it's sinful anger. But there are times in which anger is genuinely righteous. So let's talk about that. How do we know that it is righteous? Exodus 14 says that the Lord was angry. Okay, He speaks to uh, the evil in his anger. He terrifies them in his fury. Um, the anger of the Lord burned against the land to bring upon it every curse which was written in the book. Uh, that's Deuteronomy 29, 27. Jesus expressed righteous anger when he drove the money changers out of the temple. And there was another time where he looked around and with anger he was grieved at the hardness of the heart of the Pharisees, as Mark 3, 5. So again, how do we know when anger is righteous? Well, Rob, Robert Jones uh, gives a few characteristics here that help us understand what truly righteous anger is. And let me tell you, it's very rare. Number one, righteous anger reacts against actual sin. Righteous anger reacts against actual sin. Okay, so righteous anger is only righteous when it is against sin. Sin is defined in Scripture. God defines what sin is. It's not a, a difference of opinion. It's not a preference issue. It's on issues of sin, like immorality, lying, uh, uh, murder, abuse, these sorts of things, right? Outbursts of anger. Ch- genuinely righteous anger is against actual sin. Number two, righteous anger focuses upon God and his kingdom, his rights and concerns, not on me and my kingdom rights and concerns. Okay, this is huge. Okay, oftentimes, we will be angry at someone for doing something wrong, okay? And it might genuinely be wrong. It might be actual sin. Maybe they lied to us, or maybe they're lazy, or maybe uh, they're selfish. But what is my reason for being angry? Is it that I'm angry for how they have sinned against God and how it affects God and His kingdom? Am I concerned for God's glory or is it that it just bothers me, and now I have a, and now this, I have a justified reason for being angry? Okay, this is really huge, because we're sinners. We're inclined to make ourselves the center of the universe and to judge those who don't submit to our will. Um, so righteous anger focuses on God's kingdom rights and concerns, not mine. Number three, this is the third characteristic of righteous anger. Righteous anger is righteously expressed. Okay, so. When you, it has to be expressed in a righteous way for it to be righteous anger. Even when a real sin is taking place and one thinks he is concerned for God's kingdom and interest, anger is not righteous if it, if it is expressed sinfully. For example, one may have righteous anger against an abortion clinic in the community because the unlawful taking of human life is a sin against God. But if this anger is expressed through hateful speech and violence against people and property, the anger is not righteous 
and does not serve the interest of God's kingdom. Most people can identify sins committed against them, and they may claim that their anger is due to a zeal for God's kingdom, but it is rare that such anger is expressed in a God-honoring way. Instead, people often resort to destructive speech, bitterness, and rage. They often feel fully justified because they have been sinned against. Okay, so now, let's focus on this for the next few minutes. What causes out-of-control anger? What causes it? You know, the way that the world thinks about it in modern psychology tends to blame anger on either a genetic disposition, a genetic predisposition, or on their social environment. Okay, they, people will blame it. Well, I'm just Irish or I'm Italian and that's just how I am. We're just, we just get angry. We just, we just blow our lid. Okay, people, they'll, they'll think people who are easily angered come from families that are disruptive, chaotic, and not skilled at emotional communications. Okay, some claim that the, they struggle with anger or rage because of hormonal issues or the side effects of certain medications. Okay, now there's no doubt that these things can have an influence the, the, the way that people feel. Um, you know, they are more expressive or whatever. But anger, the way that scripture talks about it, the, most anger is a sin issue. It's not a hormone issue. It's not a, it's not a family issue. Okay, it's not just how I am. No, this is a sin issue. Colossians 3.8 says, Put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Put them all aside. This is a universal command to all Christians. Not just those who don't have the hormone uh, problem, right? Not just those who don't aren't on certain medications. Or, uh, you know, he doesn't say this command to everyone except Italians or the Irish. Okay, We've seen that Jesus teaches that Sinful anger is murderous and it makes you guilty before God. Each of us is sinful by nature. Okay, and we live in this broken environment. So we we can be compassionate towards people and, and non-judgmental towards everyone, but we do have to acknowledge that sin is sin. And every person is tempted in various ways, and some are more tempted by anger or, or are more tempted by uncontrolled anger, while some are tempted by substance abuse or immorality or worry or fear. But one thing we have to understand that no matter what the temptation is, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, that God has promised that no one, no believer will be tempted beyond what they're able to bear. This is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. So you can't blame your sin on any circumstance. Your sin comes from your sinful heart. We are new creatures in Christ now for the believer, 2 Corinthians 5.17, and we've been set free from slavery to sin. So the believer, though we are tempted, though we will fail, though we have struggles, we, we have no excuse to remain in it. And the Bible teaches that all sin, like we said, including anger, begins in the heart. Jesus said this in Mark 7.20-23, that which proceeds out of the man is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things proceed from within and defile the man. So Jesus is saying that everything that, that we do, every sin that comes out of us, comes from our heart, the things that we want and do and believe, right? So, 
That's important to understand that we, if we are going to change, we have to acknowledge that it is our heart that needs to change. We don't just need to learn how to control the externals or have some nice techniques for channeling our rage. No, we, our heart needs to change. Okay, so the next thing, okay, understanding that, that anger is a sin issue. It begins in the heart. We become angry, number three, because we want something too much. Okay, James 4, 1 says this, What's the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is, it not, is not the source your pleasures that wage war against your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Okay, do you understand that, that anger comes from you wanting something so badly that you're willing to sin to get it or to sin when you don't get it? This is massively important to understand. So when you get angry, it's important. You should ask yourself this. When you get angry, what is it that I want so much? Okay? What is it that I think that I have a right a right to? Okay? Why, why am I judging the other person for not giving me what I want? Okay? Now, some of these desires could be good things. So like... You know, a mom might want her child to be obedient and respectful, or a husband may want a wife that's supportive and affectionate, or a wife may want a husband that pays attention and understands and is uh, is um, kind. A boss might want his workers to perform with excellence. Okay, these are all fine, but they, w- when we want these things too much, it shows up in that we we use anger when we don't get these things. People are failing to meet what we want them to give us. They're they're failing to do the things that we uh, think that we uh, are owed. Okay? A legitimate desire becomes a sinfully idolatrous desire when it becomes a controlling desire. Okay? Hold on to that, that phrase. A legitimate desire becomes a sinfully idolatrous desire when it becomes a controlling desire, okay? When we're not controlled by God's glory and his will and his kingdom, his way, when we're controlled by these other desires, these things have become idolatrous. We want them more than God, and we're unwilling to trust and trust them to God, okay? So James continues, you have because you, you do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures, so rather than seeking ultimate satisfaction from other people who will often let us down because they are sinners, we need to turn to God to meet our needs, okay? Rather than demanding it from other people. Isaiah 55 says, Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend your money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Okay, so again, think about this. What am I seeking and treasuring more than I seek and treasure Christ? What rights do, you th- do I think that I'm being deprived of that I think are so important that I want them more than Christ? You see, the angry person is, okay, and this, this is going to hurt. The angry person is self-centered and proud. Okay, (laughs) listen to that. You have to understand this. If you are angry, you are self-centered and proud. 
And yet people are often very self-righteous in their anger. I've done this for you. I've done that for you. And now, and this is how you repay me. And there's, and you're full of anger. You have to understand this immediately. When you have that anger, you have to stop and say, you know what? I might be right about what that person should or should not have done, but my motives are wrong. I, I might be right, but for the wrong reasons. And you might tend to minimize your own sin while you maximize and magnify the sin of others. Okay, you're obsessed with what he believes he is his right, and yet you don't care about what you should be doing for other people or for God. All right, so here's another thing. Angry people often learn that their anger gets results. Okay, people, anger is kind of manipulative. People use anger to get what they want. Okay, they realize that if they scream, the kids will get in line. Uh, the, the wife might discover that that the husband will pay more attention if she bitterly nags or, um, or, or, or rages against him. The husband can, maybe if he acts angry or bitter, he'll get more attention from his wife. Okay, this is the way that bullies act. But here's the deal. In the end, angry people experience loss, including the loss of their idols. So even though it seems justified in the moment, anger does not produce the results that you're looking for. Angry people often experience overwhelming stress, a lack of peace, financial loss, and broken relationships as a result of their sin. And there's no real joy in the end. And angry people often find themselves alone in the end. But guess what? There's hope. Okay? Can an angry person change? Absolutely. God's grace is for all sinners. Okay? And we're going to talk about that next time. How can angry people be helped? Well, now we get the great joy of reading the next chapter in the book of Acts. Uh, Let's see here. Acts chapter 9. All right. We've just seen how Saul uh, started persecuting the Christians, but even while he was chasing them, even while he was going house to house and they were scattering, they were spreading the gospel everywhere. And in chapter 8, We saw how even the Samaritans and this Ethiopian eunuch all got saved as a result of their preaching, and it just kept spreading. So now we're in Acts chapter 9. Saul, verse 1, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, and he asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he's got letters. He's going to go arrest them and put them in chains and bring them back to Jerusalem. And as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. This is amazing. One of the most important events in the history of the church is this moment right here. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. Leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, And the Lord said to him in a vision, 
Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man named Tar- for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen a vision, in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all those hearing him continued to be amazed, and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name? And who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. Wow. But the disciples took him by night, let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. And when he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, that he had talked to him, and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And it continued to increase. Isn't that interesting? The Lord is the one that brought them peace. They didn't have to fight. They didn't have to raise a rebellion and arm themselves and go kill Saul. God took care of him. And and so they got to enjoy a, a period of peace now. How awesome. And it kept increasing. Verse 32. Now as Peter was traveling through all these regions, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas who had been bedridden for eight years for he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up. And all who lived at Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. 
This woman was abounding with the deeds of kindness and charity which she did continually. And it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, Do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose and went with them. When he arrived, they brought him to an up, to, into the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. But Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up and called the saints and widows. He presented her alive. It became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. Thank you for listening to The Gray Snapper, a podcast of Grace Church of Napa Valley. If you'd like more information, you can find it at gracenapa.org. And until next time, keep swimming.